okay, now for reals, I'm going to do the intro with Alyssa Fettuccini. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be the worst pronunciation I've gotten, so I'll take it. I love Alyssa Ferruccia, right? <laughs> yeah, Fettuccini. <laughs> okay. Hello, listeners. Thanks for tuning in again. I'm excited for today's guest. Uh, this is another individual that I met through my work at Modified Tattoo. Um, we had a pretty intense conversation and I was just stoked to be able to find out more about this individual. Uh, so ladies and gentlemen, welcome Alyssa Ferugia. Hey. Did I do it right? Yeah. Yes. Right before I said it, I was like, God damn it. I'm going to fuck it up. I might switch it to Fettuccini though. Alyssa Ferugini. It'd just be funny. Yeah. So. I'm trying. I I can't even remember if you came in for a piercing or a tattoo. Uh, I had to get my jewelry put back in because I had ah. come back from an MRI. Oh, that's right. Okay, it's all coming back to me now. Yeah. I mean, you're the the second person, like I said, that's that's been on because of like the conversations that I had at the shop. And let's let's start at the beginning though. So you grew up in Buffalo. Yep. And. Uh, you had said that your your parents had split when you were fairly young. Yeah, I don't remember them being together. I only remember them ever being apart. Like, there's pictures, obviously, but like, I look at them, I'm like, are you sure this isn't staged? <laughs> I'm always curious too. Is like, did your mom like? Did you grow up thinking that your stepdad was your dad? No, I I've known the whole time that my parents are my parents, and I've known my stepdad as Brian, which is his name. Um, so I've I've always known that he wasn't my real father. Okay, that's good. He he stepped in like one though, so I had two dads always. Oh, okay. Are you the oldest then? No, no. So I have an older sister. She's three years older than me. Okay. And then my little sister is four years younger than me. When parents split, it can go kind of a couple different ways. Uh, one being where it's amicable and parents like are fine with sharing time and all that fun stuff. The other is where the parents pit the kids kind of against one another. I'm curious as to what your experience was. They definitely didn't like each other at all. They definitely tried putting against us against each other. Like I remember playing with like a little tyke's carnival. Like I, I have a specific memory of a little tyke's carnival toy with the cute little like wind up Ferris wheel. I was oh, playing with that, yeah. and I think it was mom. One of the two was like, "Who's a better cook, mom or dad?" And like it's a small trivial thing now if you think about. But like they were trying to like get it in our head of who's better, and like mm -hmm. that's super shitty. Like, yeah. Like my mom called my dad dumbass. That was that was his name. He she didn't refer to him as his name. And then as I got older, she referred to me as dumbass junior because I am his miniature. So, wow. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, at what point? So I, that had to have been tough growing up. Like, because I'm sure your experiences with your dad were not matching with what mom was saying. Exactly. So yeah. it was really confusing. Like she was trying to make him out to be the bad guy, but in reality, it was her. Hmm. So uh, when did you start to like catch on to like, uh, you know, this dad is not who you're making him out to be. Why? You know what I mean? Like, did you ever have that confrontation or conflict? I don't think ever like a confrontation per se, but like I remember like feeling like going to his house was the safe place. Um, 
because she she was a it was a lot of verbal abuse at the beginning and then it was small things like walking by and just like slapping you on the side of the head if she was pissed off stupid small stuff like that where at the time you don't think of it as abuse because you hear abuse as like punched kicked thrown down the stairs and you don't you're just like this is just who my mom is but then that doesn't happen at dad's you know so it's confusing and then you're trying to think as a kid like why why is she treating like that like what did i do so i started having really bad mental health issues by like the age of six and uh so was that anxiety it was anxiety and depression like really bad my mom like if she wanted to punish us we'd stand in the corner and there was this uh big china cabinet so it was just placed you know just right in the corner so you could stand with your face into the back of the cabinet you could see behind it and i remember standing there like six years old and thinking okay i want to die and i want to take my own life but i want to see my dad one last time so in my head at that point i was planning like you know i gotta see dad first so when can i do this you know yeah that's a sad thing for six years old yeah yeah for sure um did you convey that to anybody uh i don't think verbally because it was kind of one of those things where you, you kind of get brushed off like you're fine. Um, but I remember like second grade or so, I had drawn a picture in one of my notebooks and it was like me with a knife in my heart that I was holding the kni- I was holding the knife. I was in a pool of blood. There was crime scene tape around it. My mom found it and she didn't like get me therapy or anything. She didn't. I got yelled at. Ugh. Same thing with when I started self-harming once I hit middle school. We got we got yelled at. And so it, it I didn't feel like I could talk about it. Yeah. So with, um, so mom, was it that, like, was she a religious person? She wasn't religious. Her parents are. Um, okay. Like I had said before we started, she, she was a really bad alcoholic. And I think that stemmed from her own mental health issues, which I can totally understand substance abuse because of that. But we begged her to get help. We begged. And unfortunately, that's what ended up ultimately taking her life. Yeah. Um. I'm the reason I ask is because it it varies as to like parents understanding of mental health stuff. So whether they think that they can deal with it, what I call in house or if they're going to outsource and my, like my parents personally, because of the religious aspect of things, prayer, you know, looking to God, these things are supposed to help. Um, rather than taking somebody to the doctor to get meds and, and stuff like that. So was it simply that she had so much baggage on her own that she just didn't have the capacity to lend you that hand? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that could be part of it. And I think it's just like not wanting to believe that your your kid is unhappy because we, we raise kids hoping that they're going to be happy and oh, love yeah. life and everything. And for a kid to be drawing pictures like that and having thoughts like that, that's I couldn't imagine my own kid, you know. So I get it. But at the same time, like it took me trying to take my own life and going into a mental hospital for me to get medication, to get therapy. And that was... My dad's doing, not my mom's. Mm. My mom didn't come to see me when I was in those psych wards. Like, and that's a shitty memory at this point. Like, any of them. I th- actually, she came to one, and she came to family therapy, and we all fought the whole time. And mm. then I just left feeling even shittier. Like, <laughs> did you have friends who were supportive of you to try and make you feel better, or like kind of the trouble with depressed 
frightened, anxious kids, we latch onto other depressed and anxious kids. <laughs> and so there isn't a whole lot of help. It's more just like an echo chamber of like everything fucking sucks and until somebody eventually ends up hurting themselves. It was once I came into high school, um, I made friends with the group that was like a year or a year or two older than me. And it was the elder emos, as you call them. And uh, so they kind of took me in and I had a best friend. His name was Josh. And he uh, he was my person. Like I was super anxious going into high school. Like I carried a stuffed panda bear everywhere I went with me. Like his name is Cupcake. I still have him. He's super ratty, but I love the shit of him. But like. I wouldn't eat in front of anyone except for Josh because my anxiety was so bad. Like if anyone else sat down at the table, I'd throw that away. But he would make sure like that I'd eat before anyone else came to sat- sit wow. with us. Like stuff like that. Like he he did his best to make sure I was doing okay. Like I could I could call him right now and he'd answer and he'd say, What's wrong? because he knows I call if something's wrong. Wow. And this is years later and we barely even see each other or speak to each other and he'd still to this day answer like that. Wow. That's really cool. So, yeah, but I mean, was there anybody beyond him? Not really. I've never had a ton of close friends. It's never, it's kind of just been me against the world. And <laughs> I'm still here. So, I mean, I'm doing pretty okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, But I mean, the stuff that leads up to, I mean, in a tumultuous family dynamic like that, I, I may be guessing here, but when you have arguments with mom and dad screaming things out like, I, you know, I want to fucking kill myself and it doesn't seem like you care. And they just say you're being dramatic. Yep. And so it's just falls on deaf ears. Um, how old were you? Uh, your first, have you just had the one attempt then? Uh, like two, two or three, three psych wards. I think only like two, like attempts. The first one, I think I was like just turned 14. And then the last one I was like right after 15. Okay. What was, do you recall what the circumstance was or um, was it just one more thing on top of all the other? I don't remember the first time, but for sure the second time it was It's like, it's kind of stupid to think about now, but at that point, like it is what it is. Um, I had snuck out of my apartment to go hang out with another person, just hanging out, like wasn't even doing anything wrong. And I was usually really good at sneaking in before anyone got up. But that day I walked in and my stepdad was already at up for work and it just it was a spiral of like they were trying to take everything away from me and at that point i was just i was done like it wasn't yeah. worth dealing with and yep yeah <clears throat> so you got put in you got put on a hold each time uh so the first time I was taken from the Buffalo High School because it was an attempt while I was at a summer school program for like the, I think the yearbook or the magazine, some something like that, some extracurricular. And I'd taken pills with me to the school and somebody happened to find the note that I had had in my pocket and they told somebody. Wow. So ambulance had to come and take me from the Buffalo High School to the Buffalo Hospital. And then they helped me there for a while before transferring me to Prairie Care in Maple Grove. Terrible. Uh. Hated it there. Hated it. So bad. Oh, lemonade every meal. My my wife used to work there. Well, tell her it sucks. Oh, she knows. <laughs> That's why I said used to. Okay, good. <laughs> and then the second psych ward, I wouldn't sign a, th- a safety contract with my therapist saying that I wouldn't try and kill myself before uh, our next session. And she was like, homie, come, just do it. And I'm like, I'd be lying. And she's like, just do it. Otherwise, I got to sign. I'm like, send me. Do it. I dare you. Like, And she did. She had to call my dad. My dad had to drive me down to Fairview. Okay. 
And then the third time, it was pills again, and it was after that time of sneaking out and whatever. And I want to say we they brought me – my mom called my dad because my stepdad wasn't home. I think she had been drinking and couldn't drive me. And so my dad had to come get me and bring me to the Buffalo Hospital, and then they obviously transferred me to Abbott. Abbott. Oh. Good one. Okay. That's the one I liked. <laughs> Still have a stuffed animal I made there. His name is Gimpy. Oh, okay. He has one so bike. how long were you – were you held? I think each time was like max of like seven days. But Abbott, they had to put me on cardiac unit first because it was like a full bottle of acetaminophen, like 100 pills. And wow. my, my heart was being fucky. So I had to stay on cardiac unit for a few days before they could transmit for me to psych. So that was fun. I was the youngest on cardiac unit for a few days. So that was Holy <laughs> smokes. How old were you when you found out that uh, about your, your diagnosis? Oh, my MS? I just figured that one out in 2018. Oh, okay. Yeah. So so this was all before that? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. So gotcha. My life's just been a whirlwind of <laughs> shit show. It's weird to think about like youth and adolescence uh, facilities versus adult facilities. I never went to a youth one. All, all of the times that I was held, I was it was at... Uh, at the adult mental health unit in, in St. Cloud. So I only have that experience. Um, but one of the weird things about being on that unit was you're an adult, but you're being spoken to like a child. So I'm curious as to like, if it, like, if it felt like you were demeaned beyond that in the cause nurses, they just want to get in, do their job and then move on. Usually. I don't remember a lot of the care at Prairie Care or Fairview. Um, Abbott was super, super chill. Everyone, like, actually genuinely cared. I remember one guy I sat and played cards with, like, every day, and he just let me talk about whatever it was. And, like, so there are some staff who care, and it's actually made me think about going into that as a job because, you know, they need someone who cares. Yeah. It's it's tough, man. I, I mean... I, I try to tell people like every time I meet a nurse at the shop uh, that's going to school, I'm like, you should look into going some type of mental health along with that because it's such a huge part of, of uh, I, I feel like individuals physical health as well. Mm-hmm. There's so many people. I mean, mental health has such a massive spectrum now that I feel like everybody has, everybody at least jokes about having, anxiety or ADD. See, and I kind of hate that though. Like I get that you want to fit in and you might have a few of those little traits, but like the people who actually have it, like BPD, people joke about that one oh, all the man. fucking time. And I do have that and it fucking sucks. It's part of why my mental health is as bad as it is. Ah. A lot of people with BPD don't make it to C25. So I, I'm six months to 25 and I'm like, all right, buddy, keep going. So close. <laughs> You're like a rapper. Yeah. <laughs> Don't know if I'm going to make it to 25. <laughs> I'm familiar with part of the struggle as far as that stuff goes too. So when it comes to like the the care that you're supposed to give yourself, because how old were you when you got diagnosed with that? So I want to say they did an initial like diagnosis when I went to prairie care, um, but that diagnosis can't stick because I'm underage. So it was ah. just a couple years ago, I think 2019, 2020, when I was in therapy and I sat with therapists through DBT and I was like, all right, 
can you confirm or deny this? And we sat and she was like, you're on the edge of bipolar and BPD. And then she looked more and she's like, nah, nah, it's BPD. I was like, ah, thought so. So like one of, yeah. So the, the struggle with that is like when it comes to the the homework that you're supposed to do, because when it comes to like mental health stuff, people talk about pills as though like, that's the all encompassing thing. It either makes you a zombie or it's supposed to cure everything. But really it's just, it's a tiny part of all of the other work that you need to do. It's basically just putting gas in the car. Yep. You still have to change the oil. You still have to make sure you have working wipers, you know, all that. Otherwise it's not good to drive, you know, same with your body and mental health. Yeah. So with BPD stuff, like authoritarian, like any type of, I don't, and I don't mean to make it sound like they're like, like everybody with BPD has like trouble with authority or authoritative I mean, a figures. Lot of us do. A lot do. But because of that, the connotation when somebody tells you to do something, that feeling of like, I know me. I know how to survive. I know what I need to do. I may have slipped up with this thing, but I got it from here. Oh, yeah, it pisses me off. I'm like, you think you know me better than I know myself? Let's let's do 20 questions. Let's play some Jeopardy. <laughs> yeah, it's so it sucks to know that like, or it sucks to not know certain diagnosis, I feel like. Like, I didn't find out that I, I'm, so I, uh, ha, I'm hypo, uh, I have hypomania. Okay. Um, so which is just barely like. Basically bipolar. So close. Yeah. Um, But I didn't realize that until I was 33. And so it's like, God damn it. Like all this other stuff would have been so much easier to deal with had I known that I had this other thing because your chemical imbalance like fights against you. Mm -hmm. And so you can't properly work on this stuff when you have that nagging feeling of like, yeah, it sucks. Back to you, though. <laughs> so with with each stint, when you would come back, how would would your mother treat you any differently? Or was it more like, did you learn your lesson? Yeah. Type mom of was kind of more like, oh, hey, you're back. You going to do that again? Or was, was that good? Dad, on the other hand, I remember coming home from the first day and he had gotten me a pair. Remember Avril Lavigne's clothing line from a few years back? Yeah. Abby Don, he got me a pair of Abby Don checkered skinny jeans that I still have to this day. They're in my drawer right now. They still fit, size zero. <laughs> but I remember that. Like, they were just folded up on my pillow of my bed, and it was, like, he didn't really say anything, but, like... That's sweet, dude. It was a gesture, yeah. And that's small things, you know, it matters. But my dad worked on like being like, hey, if you're feeling like that, you really need to, you know, let me know. At least let me try and help. But, but as a teenager, that's super fucking hard to be like, yes, I'm going to go tell my parents everything. Mm-hmm. It's hard telling anybody. Like, like you were saying, like, I know you only had or you didn't have like a large circle of friends. But even with individuals with large circles of friends, I mean, you hear all the time somebody committing suicide and all of their friends being like we had no idea they Mm -hmm. were even sad so it's like it's easy to mask when you've done it long enough because you don't want people to judge you like especially parents like if you don't want i was gonna say if you're being punished for an outburst but really you're fucking struggling Mm -hmm. like yeah your whole 
reward system and sense of shame is completely fucked. Yeah, BPD a lot of the time stems from childhood trauma, so I'm just like, mm. thanks, mom and dad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the thing that sucks about BPD is like, you it's all behavioral stuff. There, mm-hmm. I mean, there's like some medication that you can take, but it's so much behavioral work that you have to do, which... It's a lot. I, I mean, I went through the full year of DBT, and even now, it like being in a tough, tough spot where you just want to have that outburst, and you're trying to switch back into okay, what skill can I use? But your brain's like, no skill, just do this, and you're like, no, 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 stop, bad. <laughs> DBT is that the immersive like? Yeah, dialectical behavioral therapy. Like you get this big old workbook, and you learn how to work on these skills and you have one-to-one therapy and group therapy and it's a, it's a lot it was a big commitment i'm just glad i did a whole year of it because goddamn i'm trying to think of what the other therapy is called or if it's the same thing where they submit you to the same kind of things over and over again oh i think you're thinking trauma therapy almost yeah i've done that partway too and that fucking sucked but I can never remember what it's called. I want to say it's just like trauma therapy. I don't know, though. I don't remember. But like it. Well, OK. So I remember there's two different types of uh, two different types of situations like in vivo, which is ones where like you do them in real life, I think. And then like imaginal, which is like you keep retelling the same traumatic story yeah. over and over and over. God, that- I swear it's like immersive. I don't traumatic something. It might be. I don't know. No. I have MS. My brain lesions are acting up. <laughs> I was just going to ask. So you, you've kind of alluded to like not having the best memory when it comes oh, to some of that so stuff. so bad. I didn't know about MS affecting your memory until a couple of years ago. Um, was that one of the, like the tells when you had found out or? So my tells were actually super fun when I've told people they've almost doubted my MS, which pisses me off because they're like... That's not how you find out. <laughs> but mine actually started with a stupid trip to the eye doctor, like just a yearly exam. And then they're like, hey, you want to pay like 15 bucks to test for like glaucoma and shit? And I was like, eh, sure. I've spent 15 bucks on worse. Why not? And so we did uh, a vision field test where you stick your face into this thing and you have to press a button every time uh, you see a light flash. Oh. And like, I thought I was doing 10 out of 10. I was ready to go home. And they're like, hmm, you're, uh, you're not seeing your dots with your peripheral vision. Maybe you're just having a day. Come back tomorrow. So I did. And they're like, mm, you still suck. So they sent me to a better machine thinking my eyes just were a little messed up. And that machine, same shit. And they're like, huh, you should probably go get an MRI. And I was like, oh, you, why? <laughs> so I went for an MRI. And that's when they saw the few lesions I do have on my brain. But when they called me, they're just like, hey. You got some spots on your uh, MRI and you have to see a neurologist. They didn't hint to what it could be. So my neurologist appointment was like a couple weeks out and I thought I had brain cancer. I started writing a will. I was ready to die. Because yeah. like, what else would spots on my brain be? I was going to say that's the worst fucking thing. It was thing. so bad. So I was just, I mean, I like wrote out who was getting each of my lizards. Like I was ready. It was in my coffee table. People knew where it was. Like, yeah. So then I go to the neurologist and it was kind of just like, well, it could be MS, but you're not really having symptoms. So, like, I don't know, man. And then passed me off to another uh, neurologist. And they're like, mm, yeah, maybe. And then I had a vertigo episode and I had to go to the ER. So they did another MRI. So then we had another image. And they're like, yeah, we think this probably is it. So then they finally were like, yeah, you should probably get a spinal tap. And I was like, oh, all right. Oh, my God. 
And then like four days before my spinal tap, I got drop crowd surfing and fractured my neck. Oh my God. <laughs> Hashtag Elder Emo Warp Tour 2018. Ah! <laughs> Jesus fuck. But what's fun is I didn't know my neck was fractured for like a year and a half. And we only found it because of my MS issues. So like, thanks MS. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so got my spinal tap. And my spinal tap results, they were like, hmm, yeah, no, we don't think it's MS. So, like, it was seriously back and forth constantly. Wow. And then finally they sent me to a fucking specialist. And the first time I went there, she didn't have my fucking MRIs, meaning she couldn't do anything. And I was so fucking pissed. My dad was with me. I was going off because I'd been to so many doctors in the space. This, it started in, like, late January, early February. And by the time that I had the spinal tap, it was July. So it was constant doctor's offices. I was just fucking tired of it. Yeah. And so like she walks in and tells me she doesn't have my scans. And we went all the way to the cities. And I was like, bitch, you got to be kidding me. Like what? Like, so the next time we came, like she like poked her head in the room real slow. She's like, I have your scans. <laughs> I was like, good. Now get your ass in here. Like, so... Fun fact, that's actually part of why I didn't go to the hospital after my drop. After I got dropped crowd surfing, I was fucking tired of doctors. I feel like any other time I would have known that I should go to the hospital. But I was like, nah, I'm getting a spinal in a couple of days. If there's something wrong, they can figure it out then. They did it. <laughs> that's so wild. Um, I mean, so let's go back before we dive completely into the MS stuff. What? At what point did you realize that your mom had uh, substance issues or did that not come until later? No, it was pretty young. Like she'd borrow money from our piggy bags to go buy beer. I wow. mean, we, I don't think I ever saw her drink water. Her, She'd get up in the morning and she'd start with Diet Coke and it would be just Diet Coke. And then she'd switch to her cores and then later in the day she switched to rum and coke. We kind of just learned like if she was having a good or a bad day and like learned to base our behavior around that. So, like, we'd be sneaky if she was more drunk and we could get, you know, sneak behind the couch with friends or whatever it might mm -hmm. be. And then, like, on her good days, we'd come home from school and she'd be in the kitchen with an apron on, baking and, like, happy as shit. And it was just out of fucking nowhere. But you just, you ran with it because you don't know when the next good day's coming. So, it just, like, we knew. I mean, but what can you do as kids? I mean, yeah. we, we asked her to stop drinking. We We begged her, like I said before, but it just... Someone's not going to get help unless they're ready to get help. And yeah. unfortunately, she never was. Well, I mean, I forget if I told you, like, so I, in a few days, will be at 666 days sober. Hey. Thank you, Satan. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, man, when it comes to the addiction stuff, uh, I think that, like, the recovery system is failing people. By putting the onus on a higher power. Oh, yeah, that's a huge thing. Which I... doesn't doesn't necessarily mean religion, but it does allude to some like higher great, being, yeah. something greater than yourself, or something that you hold in higher regard than yourself. But like, if somebody just hears it, they're gonna think like they have to find like a spirit animal or whatever. Um, reconnect with God or Jesus and really like the thing that made a massive difference in my recovery was the like the super basic objective 
process of how your brain works, which I'm curious if you know, because I'm sure you've had to brush up on stuff when it comes to neurology and here and there, not too much. I mean, they're pretty good at explaining what's going on. Like, and I can, I can tell with my MRIs and stuff at this point, like if I have new lesions and stuff, which is super cool. Wow. Which I haven't had any new lesions start since I got diagnosed. So yes, golf clap. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So just that three-step program of how your brain functions, right? So you have that subconscious part of your brain, which I call like passive survival skills, breathing, blinking. You don't like avidly think about. Yeah, you just do them. I need to breathe in now. I need to breathe out now. Like it just happens. So that part of your brain is called the midbrain and it also tells you we need water we need this but because that's not something that you can just make appear it had to figure out a way to get you to go and do that thing yeah so step two is like so step one is we need water step two is like all right where are we going to get the water and then step three is we're going to go steal it from our neighbors let's go do that so you do a little light b and e and get hydrated uh, but seriously, like that's that's as basic as it is, right? So with substance abuse, because when when you do that, when you complete that three step process, uh, the midbrain introduces dopamine, and it's like yeah. good job. But it's such a minute amount, like on a daily basis, that you don't it doesn't really register. Like nobody's super psyched about getting water every day from. I think you're wrong because if my boyfriend tells me I'm a good girl for taking my meds or my water, I get so fucking excited. That's how he gets me to do shit. That's a little different. Hey. Because you have works. somebody verbally saying. <laughs> Counts. But like to yourself, like I don't go get like a jug of water. And I'm like, fucking you're the best. <laughs> um, But yeah, so your brain had to introduce this, this, what I call survival juice because to the midbrain, all it means is you did a thing that's going to help us survive. So here's a little happy juice. When you introduce substance, it doubles the amount of the happy juice that you're getting, that dopamine. So your brain thinks that you're doing something that is helping you survive. Yay, good job. Keep doing it. We're happy. Exactly. Well, not only not because there's no like real like feeling attached with the midbrain. That's why it had to introduce the dopamine because it was like, I don't know. I think it was, Shrug. I mean, we introduced water. They should just be like glad that we're alive, but I guess we'll give you like a little extra. So yeah. So you're like evolution had to figure out a way to do that. But, um, so the midbrain doesn't make that association. It just thinks that because the dopamine is getting introduced, like it's a chemical reaction thing where the dopamine's getting introduced at a much greater rate. It's like, oh, we must be like safe doing really good, but you know, whatever. Um, so if we don't have that, if we're not matching that same volume each time, then something's wrong. So midbrain figured out a way to skip step two and go straight to the action part. So midbrain's like, okay, I know I usually introduce the dopamine, but there was something else that was introducing it. So what the fuck? Why is that not happening? That must mean that we're dying. That's why like people go through withdrawals is because your brain is seriously thinks that something as important as water has been removed from the equation. So you have this subconscious part of your body that 
midbrain doesn't give a fuck about your feelings or like your friends or family. It just thinks that it needs this stuff because that equals surviving. That's it. So learning that part of it answered so many questions. So when I would be like, I didn't want to go to the liquor store. I didn't want to, you know, I I don't want to choose substance over my family. I don't want to be doing this. Why do I keep doing this? And that's where like depression comes in and suicide attempts and stuff is because it's such a massive conflict, right? Mm -hmm. Like you have the subconscious part that's like, everything's fine, dude. And then the rest of reality going, no, dude, everything is fucking going downhill. That's why like a lot of addicts will just be straight up about being addicts. Like, yeah, dude, what what am I going to, I'm going to get a stop? No, I'm a piece of shit. Like, this is what I deserve. So there's, I feel like if people would just do this like little basic thing or teach that little basic thing before anything else, be like, okay. Just so you all stop feeling so ashamed of yourselves, know that there is a subconscious agent working against you that would make you do these these things that seem super irrational. So, with regards to your mama, I would say unchecked mental health stuff, because I think almost every addict has a mental health issue as well, or some type of trauma. Plus not knowing that little thing, it's like... They're going to, it's only going to get worse. So what was it that finally took her? Uh, It was pancreatitis. Uh, We didn't know that she had it though. And unfortunately the symptoms of that were very similar to her being intoxicated. So slurring of her merds, falling over, like, so we didn't know. Um, She, she passed in her sleep. So I mean, at at least there's that, but my little sister was home and (sighs) she was the last one to see her alive. My little sister got home from school Mom went to lay down and take a nap, which, you know, is what it is. And then, you know, little sister's doing whatever she's doing. And then when my stepdad finally got home from work, he's a he's a roofer. He came home, went to check on her, and she was already gone. He did CPR until um, the ambulance got there, but she was already gone. One of the, the individuals that I was in treatment with died of pancreatitis. Man, it's... Ah. So that's another, like, indicator, right? So, like, this guy had was aware that he had pancreatic issues and had been in treatment twice but still couldn't stop and it's like that's sorry i don't mean to like turn this into a thing about like how but it's such a bummer for people to like this old guard shit is failing so many people like alcoholics anonymous and Really what you need is community, right? You need people that'll support you. Same thing goes with mental health. Having a support group is so fucking huge. And, but making people feel ashamed along the way, like, isn't helping anything. And I don't know if your mom ever did, like, did she ever try to quit that you remember? I don't think so. Mm. I, I honestly don't think she ever tried to stop even even when we did beg i mean it like you said it's just one of those things your brain's gonna keep doing it no matter what and she knew something was wrong with her which is sad we she didn't have health insurance um mm. and she had told my grandma that she thought she had like a stomach ulcer or something but she didn't want to go in because of the cost of health care so let's <laughs> health care that sucks too but you know me and my sisters at this point now all being adults have talked about you know 
if she had known, would she have gotten help? If, you know, my stepdad had gotten home earlier and saved her, would it have been enough to make her think about it and switch it around? But, you know, like the person you went to treatment with, it doesn't, it doesn't always do it. Yeah. When she passed that, I'm curious as to like the conflict of feelings. Cause I've lost people where we didn't necessarily get along. So I was conflicted as to like, I didn't know how to feel when they were gone. You know what I mean? So for you, I'm curious as to like when she was gone, what was that grieving process like? Uh, so when it first happened, I think it, it really just hit me that like, hey, that's that's my mom. Like I wasn't really thinking of the trauma she'd caused me at that point. Um, and because of some of my behavioral issues at that point, my parents had decided to move me full time to my dad's. Prior to that, they would do like four days on and then sw- we'd switch back oh. and forth and they'd move me back to dad's because – I got into more trouble at mom's, you know, it was an apartment community. I could sneak out easy, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I moved back to dad's. And so seeing mom was kind of like a treat, like I only got to go over there every once in a while. So she'd kind of be on a better behavior when I was there during those points because of that. So it had switched at some point? Yeah. So it was after my last hospitalization, I want to say, um, because unfortunately, right before that, I had started getting into trouble with older guys and unfortunately like like you were killing older guys shh you're not supposed Sorry. to tell allegedly <laughs> no uh unfortunately <laughs> like due to that apartment complex and just being able to get into shit without people realizing it like i lost my virginity to a 22 year old while i was so drunk i couldn't walk like Ugh. you know and that's super shitty but that that's the kind of stuff my dad was trying to prevent by moving me to his house because it was it was a house in a good neighborhood like so I, I understood, but I kind of resented him at the same point because I couldn't get away with shit. But like I said. That uh, goes back to that BPD thing. Yep. It's like you can't help it. Like you're just going to have a uh, uh, um, visceral reaction yeah. to like uh, any anybody who's trying to apply rules to you, even though you're the one that's I've been doing just fine before you try to throw these rules oh, yeah. out of me. <laughs> but yeah, like I was supposed to see my mom that coming weekend. Um, and what really sucks is the last time I talked to her, it was over the phone and I had really wanted to get my first lizard. I wanted to get a leopard gecko and my little sister had a tank that she used to have a turtle in and she, there was nothing in it anymore. And I was just like, Hey, Hey mom, can I, can I take this tank so I don't have to go buy one? And she, she said no, because what if my little sister wanted to get another turtle? At that point, I was just pissed off. Like, really? She doesn't need another turtle. It's not getting used right now. And the last thing I said to her is, why are you being such a fucking bitch? And I hung up the phone. And fortunately, that's the last things I ever said to her. And you just, you don't think about that at that point. It's just, you're pissed off. Uh, So that's, that's helped me a lot at this point in my life of realizing like words really what you say matters. You never know if it's the last thing you're going to say to someone. Yeah, like I was supposed to see her that coming weekend. Like, so it just, with the grieving, it, it hit me hard. Like, I, I didn't know what to feel really. Um, yeah. And what really sucks about it is my dad, um, like he came in my room. I remember I was Skyping with a friend. Like I was wearing onesie pajamas. I was Skyping with a friend, like just hanging out. And, uh, he was like, get dressed. And like, it wasn't unusual for him to just like come in and tell me to get ready to go somewhere. Like, you know, maybe oh. we go out for Chinese. Maybe we're going to Walmart. But like, I could tell that his vibe was just off. And so I got dressed and hung up with my friend, whatever. And then, you know, 
who's like, all right, come and get in the car. And he's still just being really weird. And I just, I didn't know what the fuck was going on once we're in the car driving. And it's like a five minute drive from dad's to mom's. Oh. And uh, he just said, something happened to your mom. He, he didn't tell me. So I didn't, it was once we started pulling in that I saw the ambulances and the fire truck and the cop cars and all of that, that I realized how wrong something was. And I got out of the car like the second he stopped it and I, I went to the door and my grandma opened the uh, entryway door and she immediately tugged me and told me that my mom was dead. So like, it was just such a spiral of like, I knew something was wrong and then she was dead and then like, what? Like, what the fuck do you mean she's dead? Like, and yeah, all of my family is just downstairs at the apartment, just fucking crying. And that's when you realize like, they're not joking. Like she's, she's dead. And I remember like the cop, I wanted to see my mom's body. And like, I, I understand now, like it wouldn't have been good, but like, that's my mom. I wanted to say goodbye and she wouldn't let me in. And I was just so fucking mad. Because the last, you know, memory I have of seeing my mom now is at her funeral. And the funeral home did a really shitty job. Like, I went by her casket twice. Total. (sighs) That's fucking brutal, man. I'm not crying. You're crying. <laughs> Fucking pussy. <laughs> Thank you. That's all I need. <laughs> Just call me a pussy. I'll stop crying. Hey, pussy, I'll fight you. You want to go? Don't make me make you beat me up in front of all these people. That'd be super fucking funny. <laughs> I'd pay to see that. Especially because I'm so fucking tiny. Like, if I won. Well, that's what I'm... So that's... I, I'm small, I, but I'm scrappy. I started saying that to people because after my, my back injuries, I just a very weak individual so i would say don't make me make you beat me up in front of everybody else here and people would be like uh, what like yeah you think about that i'll ne- do it <laughs> um yeah it, it sucks i yeah like you're saying like i get why they you know couldn't let you because I forget how long it's technically like an active crime scene or whatever. Yeah, I, I don't know. I But like, I just like, I know that my older sister had gotten to go in there. I think that's what really like my stepdad got to be in there. My little sister had been in there. My older sister had been in there. Like, I felt like everyone except for me was being allowed to have their moment except me. Yeah. Were they there initially? So I honestly, I don't know how the hell everyone else got there first. That kind of pissed me off too. Like I was one of the last people to get told that my mom was dead. My, my sister was living in Monticello at the time. So like she would have had to drive 10, 15 minutes at least to get there. Right. We live five minutes away. Why did she get there first? Do you think maybe your dad wasn't like sure as to whether or not to bring you over there initially? Like, did your siblings have the same mental health issues that, that you had? Yeah, no, mine have always been worse. We all have them a little bit, but mine have always been worse. So I'm, it probably was just trying to like figure out how the hell do I, how the hell do I tell my kid that her mom's dead? Like, yeah, I, it scares me to think like, so my last attempt, um, like I was 
I was pretty drunk and I, because I had tried to hang myself, the memory's kind of blurry, but like, I just remember my older brother waking me up um, because my wife had been trying to get a hold of me and uh, like him, like shaking me, trying to wake me up and stuff. And, and then cops being there and my son had woken up and came in and you know the first thing he sees is a bunch of officers and medics and dad just laying there on the bed like that's like one of my biggest fears is like I can't take that back and if I could have somehow averted that and like dad's just in the hospital because he's having a tough time versus all of the shit that he had to see you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so that I, I just put myself in your dad's or I'm trying to put myself in your dad's train of thought as to like, there are certain things that you can't unsee. And, and I think that's part of why the officer didn't want me in there. Like, cause I don't know exactly what her body looked like that, that time. My, my sister did say that. Oh, and I wonder if your stepdad was with your sisters and was like, yeah, come like, let's. Well, so I know my little sister was there, but my older sister was married and moved out. So, like, uh-huh. she didn't live there. It was just my little sister and my stepdad who would have been home. So, that's, like... Ah, uh, that sucks. So, yeah, I mean, that's interesting, though, that, like, it had gone from the confrontation with your mom and this kind of better, um, like, safer feeling at, at yeah. dad's. And then to get that shift of like, Oh, when I get to see mom rather than I have to go see mom. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, did it switch to that to where? Yeah. He- at that point it switched to that because it was, it was a privilege to get, you know, cause he could be like, yeah, no, you're not going to your mom's this week. It was, it was what it was. Yeah. I mean, technically the tech, technically the te- uh, custody agreement was still 50, 50. So I could have technically fought him on it, but yeah, I mean, you know, I'll take, what I can get at that point, like I had my own room for the first time at my mom's. So like when I did get to go there, I had my own room I could go to, like it was decked out with all my stuff. So like, and I still had stuff separated at mom's and dad's. So like mom's house, I had certain CDs that weren't at dad's house. And it was like, oh. I can go do certain things. And I had friends living at that apartment complex so I could go see my friends. And so, okay, let me try to figure out this timeline again. So were all of the attempts before mom passed away? Yeah. All of them were before. Okay. The last one probably being like six months beforehand. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, it's, it's tough to describe to people who haven't gone through this, but after you commit suicide, like the, or after you attempt suicide. Are you I, telling me you're a ghost? Yeah. Sorry. Shit. I know. I always fuck that up and blow my cover. Spoopy. <laughs> but after you attempt suicide, um, the next time becomes easier. Yeah. And even like now when those thoughts come creeping, like it just feels like I could easily just go do it. Like there wouldn't be that much planning to go into it. Or like, I remember like wanting my room to be clean. Um, at that, like, and those are like weird, small signs that a lot of people don't see, but like, not even six months ago, I had a friend message me because I was selling a lot of my books and it was only because I have a oh. lot of books and I just, a lot of times I read them once and then they'll just sit. So I was selling books and she messaged me. She was like, Hey, are you good? And I was like, yeah, well, why? She was like, well, I noticed you've been selling a lot of things. Like, 
you promise you're good? Oh. I was like, yes. Yeah, I'm, I, I would tell you if I wasn't. I'm okay, but thank you so much for knowing that I need that. And that's the huge thing is I do have a few friends who can tell like if I'm just that little bit off. They're like, you sure? But I, I look at suicide now the same way that I do cancer in that with individuals who have mental health issues, the way that cancer can eventually take that person, suicide is that. Like for individuals with severe enough mental health issues, like it's just one of those things that can can be um, a uh, side effect of or or one of the things that can um be detrimental to us coming out of the other side. Yeah. Because of that thing and the feelings are I I feel like initially they were like really intense whereas the second time I was like cuz I had a a physical therapist tell me that like my my physical health had gotten to the point to where I was 20, 27. No, I was, I just turned 30. And my doctor had told me that I had like the muscle mass of like an 80 year old man, basically, because I couldn't do anything for like a year. And I'd seen doctor after doctor and this physical therapist, I had heard that they were starting to do disc replacement stuff, um, which it's, it's still advancing and I'm waiting for them to be able to do it on the spot that I need. But, um, so I'd asked her about that and she was like, don't, don't look into that. Don't, you know, very dismissive. And I was like, well, what? I just trying to get better for my family. Cause I'm a huge, you know, I'm not able to do anything for him. And she was like, you may need to just get used to, this and i was like oh well this isn't working <laughs> this you know i'm i can't do anything for my kid like there were all these things right that i don't know if she was having a shitty day or why she would talk to somebody like that she's a see you next tuesday yeah uh one of those right old cunts <laughs> <laughs> i was trying to be good and not say it but <laughs> No, it's funny. The last person that was on lady was saying cunt a bunch. And I was like, good for you. Well, I had a dude almost punch me in the face once for calling my cunt. So like dead ass, my cousin had to step between him. Like it was. Oh my God. So I'm, I'm very cautious with that one. That's funny. Um, but yeah, so that time, so that, that was, so this was going to be my second attempt. I just went, oh, okay. Well then I, I can't be here anymore. Because I'm making things harder for everybody else. So it was way like scary, uh, frighteningly easy compared to the first time. Like it was like going to, I say this all the time. It's like going through the drive-thru and I'm like, hey, can I get a cheeseburger? And they're like, sorry, we don't have any cheese. Is a hamburger okay? And I was just like, yeah, hamburger's fine. Like it was that simple where I was like, sent the kids off with my parents to my niece's birthday party. And was just like, this is it. And it's going to suck for people initially, but it's going to be so much easier for them because my physical state is such a burden on everybody right now. So. You're speaking to me over there. (laughs) It sucks. It sucks 
so we're in that much more danger because it's it's a unfortunately rational thought when you have all these other mental health issues. So like where a normal person is like, oh, I could never, could never even imagine trying to hurt myself. It's like, well, you don't, you don't know. You haven't put been put in those circumstances that yeah. just push you to that point. And like, I've seen it myself with my MS and unfortunately I saw it with a friend's mom. I know someone whose mom was diagnosed and uh, like half of her body is just kind of like not working right. And so it, it mentally she didn't she didn't want that for herself because she's lived how much of her life up to this point having a completely fine body. Yeah. I mean, even me at 20 years old when I got diagnosed, I mean, that hits hard cuz I'm like, fuck, like wait, what? I have to be a little more careful with shit, like I can't do as much. And then I have the neck fracture that is still displaced and healed wrong. Oh like, my god. Yeah, because I didn't get it fixed right away, oh. like it's it's healed outward. Like I'll show you the picture. Cuz what when that happens, they'd have to like re-break or refracture. Yeah, like, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. And because I didn't do it soon enough, like doctors are shrugging me off. But my neck pain is a huge issue, like to this day, especially with getting colder out. And they're just like, "Well, yeah, how about some physical therapy?" And I'm like, "Bro, you, I just finished. A, you just discharged me from like twelve weeks of it. What?" <laughs> yeah, that's like I I did a bunch of physical therapy. It's I don't know. I could go on and on about like the the gap between uh, providers and ironically providing information to the Mm -hmm. next person. It's like you guys playing telephone with my fucking life and you should be more careful and make sure that everybody has the same information so that we can all be on the same fucking page. Because physical therapy for you has got to be different from if I were to do physical therapy. Yeah. So a lot of mine was like getting range of motion and everything. Like I had to be in this stupid thing, like turn all the way to one side and yep. all the way to, and forward and back. And it was, it was a lot, but I mean, I got, I got pretty buff for a minute there. <laughs> and then when they discharged me, like you really joined gym, right? And I was like, you are darn toot and I will. <laughs> now go ahead and ask me if I joined a gym. <laughs> hey, did you join a gym? No, but my best friend works at one. He wants me to, <laughs> but he lives out here and I live in St. Paul. So like. I got uh, a Roman chair for my back to help. It's like one of those, you know, yeah. aimed like that kind of things. And uh, I don't use it nearly as much as I'm supposed to. My dad has an inversion table and he's told me I should try it. But like, I don't know. I'm low-key uncomfy. Just like hanging there for just hanging. Like, well, and there's ways for you to fuck things up by using an inversion table, too. Like that would I, be my fucking luck too. Yeah, I use an inversion table and pulling you have to pull yourself back up. Oh lord. Like unless you have I'd be stuck. however many hundreds of dollars to buy an automatic one. Yeah, no, I'd be it's stuck. It's got to be nuts. I'd just be stuck there for the rest of forever. <laughs> so you have to be strong enough to be able to pull yourself back up. Does this look like I got the arm strength to do that cuz I don't? That's what I'm saying. Or somebody's got to be there so that when look, the Look at how tiny my arms are. The block gets <laughs> too you know, blood rushes to your head too quick that somebody can fucking help you. I don't know. So, so if I want to die, I should go on my dad's <laughs> inversion table while he's out of town. <laughs> Depends on what kind he has, but um, when you're trying to unravel all of the things that you've been through, did you find yourself making excuses like? saying things like she did the best she could or 
she had an addiction issue, so it's not her fault. You know what I mean? Like making excuses for what was happening. Kind of. Um, it, it kind of helped going through the trauma therapy. I should have fucking finished it, but I started physical therapy. And then how do I do physical therapy and therapy? That's just a lot of therapy while I'm trying to work full time. So I just, I picked one of the over, over the other. Probably should have picked the other one. <laughs> but I mean, because I, I did express those thoughts and my therapist was like, yo, but she's, she's still the adult. She's still the parent. Like she still had that responsibility to you. And like, it really makes you think because like she did choose to have kids. She, you know, or even if she didn't want them, she could have put us up for adoption. Like there were, there were choices. Yeah. You know, there were choices that led her to where we were at. So it, and even now, like there's days where I'll get sad and my boyfriend's like, you gotta remember though, like she was kind of shitty to you. And like, there's sometimes I do need to remember that because you can't just, just because someone dies, you can't make them out to be perfect. Yeah. You know, I don't like speaking of the dead, but she, she was abusive and that does put me to where I am now. You know, she can't own up to it, but right. you know, it, it's not just me who saw it. Other people saw it. Other people have helped me realize that it, it did happen. I mean, I'm glad to hear you say it that way because there's so many people that come on here and will do the whole spiel of like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to get into that because they were doing the best they could. And it's like, just like you were saying, you were the kid and you're not able to properly heal just like your neck uh, without giving yourself the grace to feel those feelings. You are allowed to be sad or be angry, like all of those things because, you know, and and even more so because she's passed on, you, the closure is with you. Yeah, like I didn't get like a physical apology from her, which I think would have helped a lot, like just for her to acknowledge, like, yeah, I was kind of abusive to you. Like I wasn't always the nicest to you. Because she wasn't. Like like I said at the beginning, she used to call me dumbass junior. Like she, she grouped me with my dad because I looked like my dad. Mm. And, you know, a lot of animosity towards me and that sucked. So like my my boyfriend, there's times where I'm just breaking down. He's like, what what is it? And I'm like, I didn't feel loved as a child. And sometimes it's hard for me to see love from other people now, even at 24, you know? Yeah, yeah that stuff sticks with you. I mean, people will talk about how like... They say they know that the the frontal lobe doesn't fully develop until you're 21. But for some reason, when it comes to that stuff, there's a lot of like, get over it or you think that's bad. I had this. And it's like, doesn't fucking matter. Like your brain was still developing. And if that thing hit, like your brain remembers extremely happy stuff and extremely traumatic stuff. And especially when you're growing up, like, what are you going to do? What the fuck? How, how are you going to tell your developing brain? Hey, remember, this isn't that big of a deal. When we're adults, we're going to get over it and everything will be fine. Or when you're an adult, much worse is going to happen. So just <laughs> yeah. like prepare. Well, but I'm, I'm saying like, hmm? I'm, what I'm saying is you don't really have control over how it's going to affect you in the long run. These things and whatever coping skills you've learned as an adult there's no way for you to foresee that there is going to be like a positive um, outcome to any of this stuff. At, at the time, it's going to be like, this is forever. I mean, think about growing up. 
It felt like it took forever. Yeah, now I fucking blink and I'm a fucking year <laughs> older. I'm like, wait, what? Are we sure? Yeah. But I mean, when you, f- so it can feel like you're a fucking POW, man. Well, it- and that's kind of what it was, you know, between the two houses. Like, I get released off to dad's and it's all happy and good. And then you go back and into the same routine again. Yeah. So I, I just, I, like, part of the goal of, this podcast is to make sure that people know like for whatever you think you owe or whatever like trepidations you have towards your parents in these situations you're not going to be able like uh, what's that saying um you can't help others heal unless you heal yourself yeah and if you are an empathetic person which you appear to be yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, it's super fucking important to, to, to be able to get right with yourself in whatever way that works out. Don't go fucking murdering people, but I do. I want, okay. That's true. My boyfriend sells human remains. Like I gotta get them (laughs) somewhere, Chris. Are they not at Costco? I wish. I <laughs> Could you imagine just like a big box of human human skulls? Like, huh, that's a pretty yeah, good box. Yeah, what a... Uh, could you point me in the... Where where are the cadavers? Which aisle do I need to be in? Oh, C3? Okay, thanks. Perfect. But I mean, I don't... Uh, unless, you know, people are like have anger issues or whatever, like, I don't think that giving... Oh, This is what I usually say. Give your situation the weight that it deserves. So if it felt fucking heavy when you were younger or if it feels heavy when you think about it, let it be known because you don't have to carry that shit on your own. And you're not going to be able to have like a healthy relationship without being able to share that load somewhat. Because otherwise your partner is going to see you and be like, fucking you're slouching. Oh, yeah. It's like. <laughs> even now, like I've been with Cameron since March and he's still learning small things that will be triggering to me because of even stuff from my childhood. And like there's been times he's just talked to me. He'll be like, I'm sorry that your mom made you feel that way, but you are loved like and that's just huge. Like you do have to learn yourself and you have to tell them like what's going on, because if I just break down because he did something small and don't tell him what it is, he's it's going to probably happen again. And it's. With BPD, there's a phrase, it's, uh, I hate you, don't leave me. Oh, yes, yes. And that's a huge thing. And I have to fight that constantly because he'll do something. And, like, my instinct is, like, I want to run. I just want to go, like, because I can. As a child, you couldn't go anywhere. But as an adult, like, I have that choice. I can walk away from the situation and I have to remind myself, like, he's not doing this with the intent to hurt you. He didn't know it's so hard to come to that spot. And I get that, like, for for people who are listening, like, I know that it's not as easy as, like, but I would say you and I are similar in, like, that we had to go through a lot to get to here. Oh, yeah. It's, I, I still, like, just moved and I need to look into a therapist because lately I've just been, I've been spiraling a little bit more and I don't, I don't like it. What's bugging you lately? I think it's just I don't do all well change whatsoever. So like moving from St. Cloud to St. Paul um, and then I moved with, in with my boyfriend, his grandpa and his grandpa just passed away a couple weeks ago. Fuck. So like that's huge. But then like we're looking into getting a house and like I was talking to a lone person and like I don't do all well the rejection. And he was like, hey, 
your hours aren't enough at work. So like you'd have to get more hours at work for to even be considered for a long. And like, so that rejection just like spiraled me hard. And like, so it like that the house was pending. Like his mom stepped in. We're like, we got it. Like it has a sold sign on it. The house has a sold sign, but my brain is still like, be ready to pack to dad's just in case. Like, and it sucks. Like it's a trauma response. I'm constantly back planning it, but yep. that's just stuff I need to talk about. Like the, learning that rejection doesn't always mean the end of the world yeah yes that's a huge thing for me well and for some reason we conditioned ourselves to when when that happens for some reason we do want to be alone or we never want to i shouldn't say we is like it's for sure everybody but a lot of people don't want to go to a family member we want to go to a friend or like somebody who is far enough removed from whatever that they're not going to try and impart other wisdom that we don't want to hear. You Some, know what I mean? Sometimes you just need to vent that how you're feeling. And a lot of people do try and give you solutions and then they get upset that you don't want their solutions. And you're like, I just, I just really need to get it off my chest. So I wasn't just sitting with it. Yeah. It's going to sound like I'm bitching and moaning, but like, this is a part of like how, my brain works and I can't help it. And you know what else we do? We're going to pop in the used essentials <laughs> and listen to the saddest shit. You don't just like throw on a warp tour, like 20 something playlist on Spotify. Cause like, then you can get a good mix. <laughs> well, Ap Apple does a pretty good job now. Oh, you're an Apple guy. I know. <laughs> I mean, it just like lately it's new because they have like this infinity symbol now. Where they'll just play... So you're a white girl. Yeah. <laughs> well, I haven't got it tattooed yet. But, I mean, it just, like, with the... They've been, like, spot on with the type of shit that they think I'm going to like. I love and, that. And it's like, we're pretty good. You guys are pretty good at trying... You know me pretty well. <laughs> um, But, I mean, yeah, we, like, we really... Or we... I did really like, I didn't just get sad. I got fucking sad. Like I would grab all of the tools that would like keep me isolated and like really stretch this feeling out rather than being like, okay, we got shit to do. So let's like, but sometimes that's what you need. Like I'll throw on hotel books and it's basically just like sad poetry to some sad music. Really? Like it, it hits hard. You got you should look into it. Yeah. And like but it it's a lot of like the same thoughts that I'm having at that time and so hearing someone else going through that exact kind of same thing that you're feeling. Yeah. Like you're like, "Hey, yeah, I'm going to be sad with you. You're going to be sad with me. We're going to we're going to belt this out together, me and you." Like Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, there's there's healthy ways of doing it for sure, but I just I I always think about like how I did it before. And how I wish I could have known, like, that only needs to be a car ride. Oh, yeah. Like a car ride of this. And then when you get out, like, whew, got all my tears out to, how could this happen to me? <laughs> that was beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all of this is to say, like, all of the shit that I, even though I'm an atheist heathen, like, Everything that I've been through 
should be of use to other people to know that one, you're not alone, which I know everybody always says, but to say like, use me as a playbook as to like what does and does not work. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like when you hear somebody like one of your, and it's gotta be weird for you because like when your friends vent to you, are they like, I know it's nothing compared to. Yeah. I've definitely had that. And I have to be <laughs> like, your world is completely different from mine. So something that, you know, I think of as just a little, tis but a flesh wound, you know, kill <laughs> someone else, you know, like everyone handles everything differently. So to invalidate people by being like, oh, well, but I went through this and this was so much worse because some people do that. Yep. And yeah, I, I may have been through quote unquote worse in other people's eyes, but this is the worst some people have ever gone through. You know, some people losing their dog feels just as bad as me losing my mom because they've never lost someone that close. So like their dog is the closest they've lost to a family member. So like you got to see it through their eyes too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I, I have people... And like, especially when I first got out of treatment, like they were very like, like standoffish, like they would, <laughs> like, it felt like they were scared that they were going to say something racist or something like, you know, that vibe where they're like, your friend who doesn't interact with black people very often is like, <laughs> what's going on? My bro, bro friend, my oh. homie, <laughs> hello, I also like Dr. Dre. You know what I mean? That's like they the just whitest way you could talk to a black person, Chris. That's what I'm saying, though. Like the best part is I've been watching Everybody Hates Chris, so like it's even better. Like I've never watched that show, but dude, dude, right? It's with that's, Chris Rock it, when he's a yeah, kid. I think yeah, that's yeah, on yeah. Hulu. I should jump in there. Um, so I mean, what are your coping skills now? Look at my face and tell me what my coping skills might be. <laughs> no, no joke though. Actually, like I've learned, like when I want to self harm, I will. I'll just go on the bottom of my website real quick and see if there's a piercing appointment open. I've walked in, I've looked at Justin, I've gone, stab me. He goes, well, where? I'm like, you pick. That's how I got my filtrum. <laughs> I let him pick where I get stabbed. It's pretty fun. Is there a vacuum going? Sounds like a blender. So yeah, the the coping skills when you can't get a piercing or a tattoo, what do you do? I I have made enough friends at this point where I like I reached out to my one friend Josh that you also know and I was like, Hey homie, like my mental health is really bad right now. Oh, and Ziggler? Yeah. Oh, okay. He's so salty that I'm on here now. Oh, that's right. So yeah, fucking yeah, yeah. funny. Hey Josh. What's <laughs> up, Josh? But like I was just like, yo, I'm in a really bad place mentally right now and like he was like hey same and like we just kind of talked about it. i was like i'm honestly contemplating like psych ward and he was like yo there's no shame in that and we're like let's go together and we just like joked about bringing his ferret with and that's honestly what got me laugh because i said that i was gonna hide his ferret in my pants and we we're like big furry dick like it's just gonna like it looks super funny like and that was the first time i'd laughed that day Aww. and like it was just some like we're talking about going to the psych ward and then like it just <laughs> tiny little little bit that just like it was enough that it brought me out of it just enough that i was able to like i'll throw in like my favorite movie 
House of a Thousand Corpses or Nightmare Before Christmas. I'll throw on one of those because they're like my safe things. They're so polar opposite. That's I know. It's super so funny. Like, it's super, <laughs> like, literally, like, Cameron came home the other day and I texted him before I got home. I was like, don't switch the movie when you go home. It, I, like, I need this right now. And he's like, okay. And, like, he got home and I had made a status that day, like, hey, what's everyone's, like, go to shows or movies? And everyone else was like, oh, like, comedies and super happy. And I'm like, I like watching people get dismembered. <laughs> super safe. <laughs> super super fun but like that's just me i mean it i'm not doing it to other people i'm watching it you know mm -hmm. see see thinking mm -hmm. so yeah i'll just small little things like picking up my big fat cat and just like hugging him because he's 20 pounds or like pressure therapy with dogs that's why i fucking love dogs i will just like just make the dog lay on me i'll just lay on the floor i've never heard of that so a lot of uh, therapy dogs have learned to just lay and create that pressure. It's like when people use weighted blankets. It's oh, like an anxiety wow. reducer. So like having a big ass dog on me is my favorite fucking thing. Like, do you have a therapy dog? Or? So I currently, do my boyfriend has a dog. He's a Shiba, so he's not super big, but he does his best. He really does. And like, if I'm sad and I call him, he comes and he comes right up to my face and he's, "Mom, you okay?" Like, oh. he's he's super good. But when I get my house, which we're just gonna push that into existence, it's happening. Get in the house. Cameron did say I can start getting a dog because I want to get an MS service dog, actually. Yes, that would so, be fucking like, rad. So, like, that dog will be trained to do things like turning off lights or, like, helping me sit up in bed so I come behind your back and, like, kind of just, like, push you up. Like, small things that people don't realize that dogs can do but, like, are super fucking helpful for people like me. But, yeah, like, pressure therapy with animals. Animals in general. Like, I'll go take out my lizard and I'll just sit there and pet him and, like, I'm his world. So, like... He's just looking at me like, hey, mom. And I'm like, hey, buddy, I love you so much. Like, <laughs> But uh, yeah, just small things like it. And that's the weirdest thing. It's become such small things that I've learned can can flip my mood. You know, watching people get dismembered, eating <laughs> ice cream, even though it's going to piss off my stomach later or Chinese food. Like I remember I went through a breakup at one point and my friend, like her first response is, hey, I'll be there in like an hour. I'm stopping at the Monticello Chinese Buffet because I know you love it there. I'm going to get you a buffet to go and I'll be there with Chinese. I don't even have to stay. I'm just going to bring you your food and then you can you can do what you want you to do. Like, thanks, guys. And then and then people actually crowdfunded my uh, my philtrum piercing. No way. No, the, co the coffin. Yeah. So I had the philtrum already. Uh -huh. But they uh, I was like, guys, I'm sad. Like, help me. And we crowdfunded enough for me to get my eyebrow pierced and for me to get my coffin. And Dude. I was so fucking and you, this thing's fucking expensive, so. Yeah. Hashtag 14 carat. <laughs> Dude, that's fucking rad. Yeah, like, so I do have a good support system where if I, if I really am, I, I'll post a status and be like, guys, post picture of your babies and your animals. And people, I had 83 comments before I even replied to anyone when I posted that like two weeks ago. And it was, I even had people messaging me who didn't want to throw them on the thread. And I, it was just like people I don't even talk to. People like I don't even remember are on my friends list, but they see that and they want to help. And that just, that that means a lot because you don't realize how big your support circle is until you absolutely need it. Yeah. Well, and it it's hard to like... Be, it's the, this double-edged thing where like social media makes you feel like no one's there but everyone can see yeah so it's a really weird like you can feel alone with a lot of eyes on you but those same people if you give them the chance like you're saying like dropping a photo or shooting you a message like 
most people are down to have some type of interaction. Literally just throwing a picture of your dog on a status, it it may, means a lot because that's why I needed it. I needed to see people's happy animals and happy babies. Like, Or I, I literally go to my friend's houses who have babies. I'm like, hey, I'm sad. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cuddle this. Thanks. Babies are the best, man. My friend has two sets of twins, so if I really... He, he lives in Becker, too, so like... Really? Yeah. Yeah, he's got... Uh, Three-year-olds and one-year-olds. With the the MS stuff, I mean, what have they... T- I don't know how the degrees of MS work. So there, there's a few different kinds. Mine is the relapsing remitting MS, um, as where there's also the primary progressive, which that one just kind of keeps going always. Okay. As where mine, like, it comes in waves. Like, right now would be my remission. I'm not having super symptom flares, like, nothing like that. Um, and then once you hit that relapse, people like lose feeling in half their body. Lose like it. It really depends on the person. I'm lucky enough that my lesions are only on my brain, not on my spine or my neck right now. So it's not really affecting my mobility too much. Um, it's more cognitive than anything. That's such a weird thing to hear. Luckily, they're just on my brain. Yeah, I know it sounds. Super, <laughs> but I have a friend who she's a year older than me, and hers were on her spine, and she's in a wheelchair full time. So it's. Wow. You know, it's crazy. It's crazy how fast things can progress. And because I caught mine so early, I was able to get on my medication right away. And that prevents um, new lesions from forming. So so I've been super fucking lucky with that. And, you know, again, lucky that I spent $15 to to find out, you know, if I had glaucoma. Hashtag, it was not glaucoma. (laughs) Um, Have you heard of catastrophizing? No. So catastrophizing, it's... It's a lot like anxiety, or I would say like people, a lot of people with anxiety do this. Thinking of everything as what a catastrophe could happen, because I feel like it's yeah. pretty self-explanatory. It is fairly self-explanatory, but a lot of people don't realize, they think that they're just pointing out the obvious. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, why try? It's not going to work. I'm not going to be able to do this because da-da-da-da-da. So it's less like what's the worst possible outcome and more just shitting on any type of like help yeah. because you think that you know that it's not going to work. So you're catastrophizing on any, any answers or remedies because you're like, what's the fucking point? Yeah. So with, I just like, I, I don't know your world. So I'm curious as to like, what, like when you found out, did your brain go that direction? Is- yeah, I think when I first, because I was still so fucking young at that point, like, it makes you wonder, like, what all am I going to lose? You know, um, one thing that's big is people with MS with pregnancy. Um, they'll typically oh, wow. lose symptoms of MS during the whole pregnancy, but then the second they're not pregnant anymore, they go into a huge relapse. Like, to the point of, like, not being able to walk, that kind of stuff. And that's a scary thing for me to think about. I don't have kids yet, and I've always wanted kids. Mm. So that's the thing I have to think about. Like, after I have a kid, am I going to be able to, you know, walk to pick them up from their crib? Am I, you know, where am I going to be at that point? And so, like, there was a point where I was like, you know, do I even bother trying to have kids anymore? Like, what's the... It it still hits me sometimes because I'll tell people I want kids, and their first thought is... You do, even with your MS. And I'm like, well, I'm at a point right now where it's not super bad. So why not try and do it 
now before, you know, before it possibly gets bad. Because who knows? I could be this perfect forever. We don't know. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of just been my life is like it started with the catastrophizing. But now it's like uh, I'll I'll figure things out as I go, kind of, because like I lived on the third floor with MS, you know, bad that sucked. I broke my foot last year and I had to go up three flights of stairs every fucking day, up and down, up and down. It was just like, all right. Have I you sh- broken a lot of things? No, that's super funny. <laughs> the foot was just like a freak. It was a stress fracture and oh, okay. like super random, but I was in a boot for like four or five months. That sucked. And then that goes, you know, I got dropped crowd surfing, which still trying to find the dude who carried me out. So if it was you. Contact us at this 1-800 number below. <laughs> 1-800. Did you catch me? <laughs> 1-800 this? <laughs> um, But yeah, so I mean, so was it through therapy that you got to that point to where you were like, I'm just, I just got to take it day by day or? Uh, so I wasn't in therapy when I first got diagnosed. Um, So I actually, I ended up ending the long-term relationship I had been in, um, at the time of my diagnosis, I had been with him almost three years and it kind of sucks because like we're still friends and like I, I still will always have like a love for him in the friendship way because mm-hmm. like we do have that history. But uh, he looked at me during, you know, all this up and down with me and he was like, I don't want to watch you go downhill. And I had looked at MS enough to know that like once you start going down, there's not a lot of going back up. Like you go down and then you can go straight, but then it's a down again. There's not another hill going back up. And that really sat with me like, okay, well, you don't want to watch me go downhill. What if this happens? Are you going to leave? And so I made that choice to leave. Oh. Um, and we've talked about it and that it, it fucked with him a lot because he, it's not necessarily what he meant per se, but, right. you know, I didn't know. I didn't know what the future was going to hold. And so I didn't want to put him in that position where if it did get worse for him to have to see that. So it was kind of like... A mercy breakup yeah because i it it does feel like a burden with ms it because there's days where i do have trouble i have a fucking cane in my car it's decked out in stickers and it's dope but like i have trouble walking some days like i i do have issues like i had a neighbor who would constantly help me with carrying in my groceries or my taking my trash out and it's small things like that that sometimes you do need help but you feel like a fucking burden because i'm 24 years old i should be able to do this on my own yeah yeah. Uh, so I can empathize with that. Uh, like I said, it's not my my thing is not your world. Um, I get uh, my friend has been saying this lately, which is I get it, but I haven't lived it. Yeah, I've lived my version, but my version kind of like you were saying, like I or like I was saying before, like with technology, like the disc replacement stuff is getting more feasible and more feasible. So there, there is an opportunity for me at some point. I don't know the world of, and it sucks because like I was talking about with the whole suicide thing before, I, I know in the back of my mind, I still have a hint of that. Like, well, if I don't have, if I'm not able to do X, Y, Z, then I'm I'm not me anymore. Yeah. And so it's it sucks. So I'm partly asking for the audience, but I'm also asking for me as to like I mean what what how the fuck do you stay positive? 
I so I haven't had that much taken away from me yet. I mean, I, I wasn't like super outdoorsy or anything. Like my friend in the wheelchair, she used to love like hiking, ki- kayaking and stuff, and she can't do that anymore. So I've had to see her struggle through that. But I didn't have that. You know, I know the thing I can't do anymore: crowd surf. Because if I fall again, I'm probably paralyzed, and that sucks because I fucking love shows. But I can still do shows. I mean, it's a little different now, though. Like, yeah. I get tired out a little bit easier. Like, I, I can't go as hard. Pits aren't necessarily as safe. But, like, I can still do it. I still have the ability to drive, which a lot of people with MS haven't, have had taken away from them. I I still have these opportunities. It it hasn't hit, hit me. And I think it, it could change for me. I You know, my outlook might change a little bit if I do spiral downward more. I, it might be harder to keep positive, but right now, like I'm stable, and that's that's what matters. Like I I can walk, I can I can. I'm in an MS group on Facebook, and there's a lady who just had a baby, and she can't feed herself because her she she can't do the movement, like, and she's feeling completely defeated, and like, so I I read stuff like that, and it just makes me put into perspective, like I can still do all these things. I still have so much that I can do that why think about, oh, no, I can't possibly get carried across a crowd and dropped again. I will never know the battle cry before a wall of death. I I know that battle cry. I, uh, <laughs> it's a good one. It's a good one. You're in a world that is also pretty fascinating in that I'm assuming it doesn't require tons of mobility. Like in the oddity world? So I do oddities with him, but I also, I'm a PCA for five kids at this point. You are? Um, yeah, so. Oh my God. It's big for me though. Um, It's a sibling set of five, ages three to eight, and the parents are neglectful. So they're living with grandma. And so for me, it's like, I can help them be that step that I needed when I was a kid because the way they're going, they're not, it's, it's going to be bad. Yeah, and so like it's a lot for me. It's a it's a it's a lot, and it really sucks because right now they all have COVID, and I haven't been able to work for like two weeks. Oh no! So like that's really sucked. So I've been making oddities, but even oddities shows they do take a lot because we we drive um to all of our shows. Well, so, I like, guess I mean in the sense of like you're not running. I'm well, assuming not running, but we have to unpack and pack the van. We you know I there is still a lot to it. You don't um, just make camera do that. Oh, I wish. <laughs> no he, we need both of us to be able to do it um but like they're, chicago they wouldn't let us drive the van into the like event center on the floor which every other event like lets us just drive straight up unload at our spot and then take the van out so we had to park in this long ass tunnel and then load our stuff onto things and push them through and then, why wouldn't they let you drive in what's funny is the floors there weren't even as nice as the minneapolis convention center and like whatever is what it is do you do you at least get um, the cool guy pass? I mean, I got an oddities and curiosities pass. Every oh, no, I mean like the... Cribble pass or... Yeah. That's the, my handicap pass. The crip pass. Yeah, that's my I hand- call it the cool guy pass. That's my handicap pass. That's how I make friends. Hey, Chris, you want to be friends? We can go places and park up front. <laughs> no joke. I've done that so many times. I love it. I think that's the best. From from what you've learned so far, I know that like you're like you were saying, like you've been been struggling lately, but the the couple of times or the few times that I've interacted with you, you seem like a, a fairly optimistic person. I think part of it is because like 
you know how I thought I had brain cancer because of the scan? It put, like, when you think you have brain cancer, and they're like, yeah, no, it's just MS. Like, just MS isn't, like, a phrase I would ever say in any other context. But, like, when you think you're dying and then it's something you can still live with, you know, again, it hasn't taken that much away from me. I'm still me. Like, I'm me with a handicap passing a cane. <laughs> Beat the shit out of you. Like, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. So I so I did realize that there there was a, a question that I forgot to ask. Um, Blue. Oh, perfect. Well, yeah. then we're done. All right, cool. <laughs> Pull that guy a little bit closer. Nah. No. Make me. <laughs> um, when it came to school, because you had kind of an affinity for the not so normal, like were you picked on in school or treated unfairly not really picked on but like nobody was like jumping to fucking be my friend <laughs> like I, i've kind of had this same aesthetic for the past uh, forever I like figured. Th th there's a picture of me and my dad from like 2011 and i still have the tank top and sweatshirt in my closet that i was wearing in that picture so like <laughs> this has a lot but yeah like my kind of creepy stuff or whatever I like isn't the kind of stuff that was really accepted at Buffalo. So yeah, like the, the group that I found was all the kids who liked metal and weird stuff and whatever. And then they graduated and it was me. But I, luckily I was in the arts magnet program and what that is, like all of your classes, like your main, uh, so English, science and social studies, it's all integrated with art. So, like, instead of taking tests, we would make dances or plays or, oh, like, wow. stuff. Yeah, so, like, super cool. Um, but so, like, after those friends graduated, I kind of just stuck with the arts kids because we all had the same classes. And so it was, like, the safe people. Uh, but, yeah, no, not no one who really uh, liked the creepies. Uh, See, but now people find out I have this stuff and they're all about it. Yeah. Like, like do... See these cute little nostril piercings here? Mm-hmm. I haven't paid for them because... Oh, that's what Justin was talking about. Yeah, like... He I'm told just... me to mention something about he wants uh, something cool. Yeah, but... like, he needs to tell me what he wants. Because, like, I was playing on paying with my gift card. Like, I was ready to pay. And he's like, yeah, no, just, you know, I'll let you know when I find something cool. And I was like, what? So, so I'm just walking out... Peace. This feels illegal, but bye. Like, it yeah. felt so... But, like... If that's what he wants, okay. Like, I'm not going to argue, but it, it's just weird. Like, I'm the cool person now. Like, he's got butterflies that I brought to him sitting in the shop. And I'm like... You brought those? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, the, the three that are in the... I think they're on the counter. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sick. Yeah. What did those pay? Oh, those pay for my plague doctor in my left ear. Nice. You had a, a pretty interesting life. And I know 24 doesn't feel... Might not feel super young, but it's still... Yes. I mean, I was 24 when we had our, our first, and now I'm 34. Yeah, it's it, it's not super old, <laughs> but like it, it does feel like a lot when you've had this much happen. Yeah. Well, especially when you don't think you're going to make it to a certain age. Like, yeah, I didn't plan to make it to 18. I didn't plan to make it to 20. Like, I'm at 24 now. Like, what? Here I am. Hip, hip, hooray. Like... So it's just kind of crazy, like, because I, I haven't planned, and I think that's part of why I haven't gone to college, is I didn't oh. plan, because I didn't plan to make it this long. Sure. So well, I, they can't 
I mean, you don't have to sp- pay any student loan debt if you're not there. So, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so it's just. So, I mean, so you had this affinity for Tim Burton yeah. ever since. <laughs> um, no. Uh, so with the oddity stuff, like you met somebody who was not so great. And then, yeah. so did they get you into that? No. So I had, I had wanted to go to the show and I actually, I remember I was supposed to work that day and I called into work because I just like. So when like, you I, say the show, by the way, is uh, there like an oddity convention? Yes. So there is an oddities and curiosities show um, that travels country and this was the Minneapolis show. Okay. Um. So yeah, shitty ex. Um, like I want to say we had like just thought about something. And so like he agreed to let us go as like a making up for kind of thing. Like trying oh, okay. to like make up for being a piece of shit. Sure. And uh, yeah, so we went there and I was really fucking excited. Like first time ever going to it. Like I had known it was a thing before, but had never tried to go to it. And I was so excited. It was just, it's everywhere. There's so much stuff. And it's crazy like now working them because like I see it with completely different eyes. Because I get to see it before it all goes up. I get to see it be- when it all comes down. But like walking into it, it's like a fucking kid in a candy store. I was like, holy shit. And yeah, so I, you know, shopped rows and rows of things. And finally, I found a uh, dead bat at Cameron's booth and I bought it. I don't even think I interacted with Cameron. Oh. But I took his business card because I just had a fucking stack of business cards. No, no, no. I had all those business cards up until like two, two months ago. <laughs> like still had them. But his was the only one that I ever like actually like followed online out of that whole fucking stack that I got. And then it's a couple of years later and he posts crocodile skull and I was just like, yeah, sure, why not? So like he added me on his friends list for his like personal account so that way I could message him through that instead of business account because oh, sure. it's just a little bit easier. And I wasn't gonna try to like get with him or anything it was like he shared a thing it was a conversation between him and a girl and she said send duck pics obviously they meant dick pics but he sent a duck pic and yeah. like i was so about that and i like i was like man i wish cute guys would send me duck pics <laughs> and like so it just it kind of just spiraled into like us talking about ducks and then like i told him that i was crushing and then like i have really bad self-esteem and like, so I didn't think he'd go for it, but like he went for it. I was like, oh, what? Hi. All right. Yeah. I'm going to come over with these dead things. Let's hang out. <laughs> well, like he was working, he was working at home and he was like, oh man, I wish you were just here. It'd be easier than having to stop working to type to talk to you. Oh, was, sure. I was like, well, it's only like an hour and a half away because I was in St. Cloud at the time. And so, only an hour and a half away. Yeah, only. Oh, <laughs> hour and 23 minutes, my door to his. It's, it's fine. <laughs> And so I uh, I got all prettied up and I got my dead things in a little Pokemon lunchbox and I <laughs> I headed to St. Paul and then uh, my best friend Zach he uh, he knew I was going because I like I called him I was like oh, dude do, do I do do I do it like I'm I'm scared like I I was just like freaking out because like anxiety he's like okay just do it but you need to call me you need to be home by this time like he was dadding me hard. Mm-hmm. And it got to the point where I was supposed to be home and I was still at Cameron's and I FaceTimed Zach. I was like, hey, buddy, I'm not going home tonight. And I stayed the night for the first night. The first time I stayed over there, got up and left for work like six in the morning. And then I literally just kept coming back like every day. I drive back to St. Cloud and I go to work and I get off work at like 10 o'clock and I get drive. And the... Wow. Yeah. So I was doing back and forth for a minute. Oof-ta. 
Lots, um, lots of podcasts listening in my car. <laughs> I like that storyline is like if Tim Burton directed a Wes Anderson film, <laughs> it's like that relationship. It, it worked out in my favor though, because like who who better to you know like dead things than somebody who fucking sells them? Like yeah, what? So yeah, now uh, like eight or nine shows I've done with him this year. We just did a reptile show a couple weekends ago. Uh, I've been to like ten different states with him. Like we travel in his cargo van to, to and from shows. We got a cart. We got a bed in there. So like we don't we don't hotel it. We we hardcore stay in the van. Mm. It's pretty pretty fun. Like <laughs> hell yeah, man. Yeah. So it's it's been really good for me. And honestly, I just like. I laugh at the fact that I was there with my shitty ex and he still stalks me and I'm willing to bet he's pissed off at the fact that I found happiness and good. Be sad. What's his name? Dustin. I don't need the last name, but Dustin, if you're watching and we know you are, go fuck yourself. Bro, he was following my OnlyFans for the longest time. So you funny. have an OnlyFans? I did, okay. I did for... <laughs> did Hey, I don't care. I don't care who knows. No, no, no. Like, all the guys at Modifier know about it is, but it is. it's just funny that like I'll casually throw it out there and people have that. And they're, Wait, what? I'm like, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, hey, it makes me money. Leave me alone. But like, he thought he was being so sneaky when he put the name as you yuck nasty ish. You yuck nasty ish. Yeah, that that was the full account name. You yuck nasty ish. All crammed into no spaces. Just you act like I don't know that. And then, like, he messaged me, and he acts like I don't know his, like, the way he types or whatever. And I just, like, I knew the whole time. I knew the whole goddamn time, and I just thought it was so fucking funny. Like, you're giving you're giving me money to stalk me. You know that, right? Like, it might not be a ton, but, like, you're still paying to stalk me. <laughs> what? Do you have any advice that you'd like to to throw people's way, kind of at a loss for even how to convey advice when it comes to... Like what, what do you feel was kind of the, the biggest detriment or catalyst to kind of your struggle, uh, growing up? I think the MS was honestly like the, the straw that broke the camel's back. Like I had gone through so much and everyone always said I was resilient and everything, but that's just like, it was just one last hit. And that really, that really brought me down for a minute. But it's once I put into perspective, like other people's lives a little bit and i don't like necessarily comparing like oh other people have it worse oh sure but like it you kind of got it in a, in a sense like and it actually is a dbt skill it is one of the weird things like like the fake it till you make it kind of yeah, and that's yeah. kind of what i had to do like i had to just like all right yep i got all these doctor's appointments but hey i'm still here like i i was still working two full-time jobs i still had an apartment i i still had all this stuff going for me and i still do like, I still have so much life I could live. Like, I could win a fucking Nobel Prize for all I know because so many people don't hit their, their you know, peak mm. until they're, you know, how much older. Just because people I went to high school with are nurses and teachers and whatever, you know, and that does get to me some days because, like, I didn't go to college. I don't have a degree, you know, I but the work I'm doing is still meaningful. Just because they're at a different level than I am doesn't mean that, you know, I'm not good enough or I'm not at you know where i should be everyone reaches milestones differently same with babies like yeah there's times when like oh your baby usually will walk by six months but there's extenuating Uh. circumstances you know like and unfortunately i had those i still have those so like but i'm still meeting milestones you know my boyfriend just bought me a fucking hearse 
<gasps> oh yeah, I did see I that. I have a fucking hearse. Did I ever think I'd have a boyfriend buy me a hearse? No. And you, no, it's not outside. I'm sorry. Do you know, like, so you have not seen the other show? No. Okay. So Mara uh, is our producer and uh, she drives a hearse and uh, they put a fake coffin in the back. Oh, I'm getting a real coffin, dude. Nice. But that's awesome that I know two people who drive a hearse. Well, like, and that's the thing, like, life looks up, like, hearse has been my dream car since before I could drive. Like, it's been my thing. And he surprised me with the other day. We were, we were coming home from a casino and he's like, hey, I have a big surprise for you. Like, I, I promise you're going to like it. Like, and he made me put blindfold on and he drove to his friend's house and we, I take, I like looked at, I'm like, why are we in a neighborhood? And I saw the hearse and I was like, oh, we're at Nathaniel's, whatever. But it finally clicked because we had just bought a new battery for it at Walmart. And he like mm. immediately walks up to the hearse and starts putting new battery. And I was like, Cameron, did you did you buy us a hearse? He's like, no, I bought you a hearse. And like, I almost started crying. I was like, you, you what? Like, what? What? I have a fucking hearse. <laughs> what? I didn't ever think I'd be at this point. Like, That's here I am. Awesome, like. Dude. You, you can't always think that it's it's the end of the world. Like, I know it feels that way, but, like, things do look up. There's there's always a rainbow after it rains. Oh, Sometimes hiding, but it's, it's there. It's there. Mine's my hearse. Fuck yeah, dude. Rainbow hearse. <laughs> Could you fucking a black craft rainbow hearse? Yeah, I like it. Dude, thank you again so much for doing yeah. this. Uh, do you want to plug the the oddities like do you guys have instagram or uh so our facebook it's studio pain online shop and uh that's where you can find all of our cool things from wet specimens skulls tarot cards just got some tarot cards in 20 bucks a deck sweet yeah make sure you follow studio pain on all the things and to the listeners be well to yourselves that's that's my sign off (laughs) I, i figured